is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. Welcome to Catholic Review Radio. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. Today, we have a special one-on-one conversation with Archbishop William E. Lowry about the decision to file for Federal Chapter 11 bankruptcy reorganization and its impact on victim survivors, as well as the people served by the church, parishes, and ministries. Thanks for being with us today, Archbishop. Why did you make the decision to file for Chapter 11 reorganization? What other options did you weigh in this decision? Well, first, just to begin um, this conversation, I, I don't think we can begin it without um, recognizing the harm that was done to so many victim survivors and the challenge, the ongoing challenges that they face as the result of having been abused sexually as children and young people. And so in making this decision, Um, they were uppermost in my mind. And secondly, the church, in spite of its past failings and present challenges, does untold good, um, not only for its members, but for the community at large. So what I was weighing is how to compensate victim survivors equitably and at the same time, how to sustain the life-giving ministries of the church. So we looked at various options, um, one of which would be handling cases individually and litigating them. And we realized early on that with the law that was passed by the General Assembly and enacted last spring, we will get likely a flood of lawsuits. And if we try to litigate them individually, the first few people, victim survivors who come forward, will get the majority of the assets and there won't be anything else left for anybody else. So we weighed what the options were and it seemed to me and to those whom I consulted, that filing for a Chapter 11 reorganization was the best option. Uh, It enables us to organize our cases. It enables us to distribute um, the all available assets uh, equitably across um, the victim survivors who uh, will come forward, but it also permits us to um, sustain the ministries of the archdiocese and of our parishes and of our schools and of our charities. Mm-hmm. What will that reorganization look like? When you hear the word bankruptcy, um, it's, it's not a pleasant word. It's not a word I like to use, and it's not a word that 
people like to hear, and I certainly understand that. What it does not involve is liquidating our assets. That's known as Chapter 7. So selling everything off, closing up our doors, going out of business, distributing assets. That's not what we're doing. Chapter 11 is reorganizing. And what this means is that um, once we've been given the appropriate approvals, by the court, that the cases will be stayed. Uh, there will be an opportunity, uh, a window, so to speak, uh, for claims to be brought forward. There will be the opportunity then for representatives of the victim survivors, uh, the archdiocese, insurers, those kinds of stakeholders, including Council to come together and to enter into negotiations uh, and hopefully to agree upon what appropriate compensation would look like and how it would be distributed. In the meantime, the archdiocese itself, its parishes, its schools, its charities will continue to operate and the uh, funds that are dedicated to our ministries will continue to be used for our ministries. Uh, and that would include um, what people contribute in the collection, the annual appeal, um, and to other very specific uh, kinds of ministries. Uh, the goal being that we can carry forward what we are doing while equitably uh, compensating uh, those who have been harmed. And let's be clear about this. The compensation itself doesn't heal. And, let's, and, and I've learned from my conversations, really heart-rending conversations with victim survivors over the years, that healing is a long, difficult process and sometimes it doesn't happen. But does, this does provide opportunities uh, for those who come forward to receive assistance that they could use according to the way they see best, but perhaps also to bring about healing, taking the appropriate steps uh, for that. Mm. I'm hoping that at the end of the day, uh, this will prove to be a good process for everybody involved, uh, and that a reorganized archdiocese will emerge and have a new day, not only organizationally, but also spiritually. Mm -hmm. Why did you choose to file for the reorganization even before the effective date of the new law, before any lawsuits were filed? The decision on, on, on timing is, is not an easy one, but we assessed various factors. Um, number one, we, we looked at the law that was enacted uh, last spring. Um, it didn't merely open a window of two or three years in the statutes of limitations, it actually eliminated them. 
So we realize that uh, going forward, um, um, we will be uh, liable for anything that may have happened uh, in living memory. And we recognize that this would likely uh, produce uh, many, many, many lawsuits. And we just felt that, that we should just face the inevitable and that the sooner we enter into this process, the sooner we will be able um, to bring about the two goals, which I mentioned before, which is equitably compensating victim survivors while at the same time sustaining our ministries. Was this a difficult decision for you to make? Um, if I may say, um, facing the reality of sexual abuse is extraordinarily difficult on so many levels. Difficult because of what happened and how many people were harmed. Difficult because while I have some idea of what happened and what it's done to people, I don't fully understand the depth of it. So that's, that's difficult. Um, figuring out how to respond uh, compassionately and, and at the same time keep our ministries going, that's a difficult goal to attain. Um, what I did and what I think bishops in the other dioceses who have faced this have done uh, is to consult people who are wiser and more knowledgeable than themselves um, so that I could really understand what this is and what it would mean for this local church. Um, I also um, am blessed with um, an excellent finance council. The, it's known as the Board of Financial Administration, BOFA, mm -hmm. and also a fine group of priest consultors. I'm required by church law to consult them. I did so, but I also consulted many, many other people. Uh, and with good help, I think, found the right counsel to help the archdiocese moving forward. And I prayed about this, and I discerned, mm -hmm. and uh, I anguished. Who wouldn't? But at the end of the day, it seemed to me that this was the right way to go. And once I reached the decision, while I know there are difficult days ahead, uh, I did feel a certain, a certain peace. Doesn't doesn't make anything automatically better, but I had the peace of thinking that the right decision has been made. Mm -hmm. After the break, we will hear more from Archbishop William E. Lorry about the impacts of the decision to file for Chapter 11 reorganization. This is Chris Gunty, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio.
Archdiocese of Baltimore makes the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org accountability. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Welcome back to Catholic Review Radio. We are talking with Archbishop William Laurie about the Archdiocesan Chapter 11 reorganization and his goal to equitably compensate all victim survivors while continuing the mission of the church, parishes, and ministries. The most recent uh, opinion of the court notes that the incidents of child sexual abuse in the church are almost entirely in the past. In fact, the court said almost every incident and allegation documented in the report took place more than 20 years ago. Does that speak to a changed church in your mind? The church has changed. Um, not just a change of policy, not just a change of procedures, not simply a response to the requirements of the law, but there has, there was, over four decades at least, a conscious decision on the part of church leadership to reform how it handled allegations of sexual abuse uh, against children uh, and young people. And, um, I've been around a long time. I know that in the beginning stages of this, uh, there was some trial and error. Not all the policies and procedures materialized all at once. But over time, and in fairly short order, excellent policies did emerge, encapsulated, I would say, in the Dallas Charter, the Charter for the Protection of Children and Young People, uh, that dates to 2002. And in this archdiocese, uh, I wasn't around except for the last decade or so, but previous to my arrival here, tremendous amount of work was done. And that includes zero tolerance, uh, that includes training, fingerprinting, background checks over thousands and thousands of people. Anyone who is involved in a church ministry, that means reporting. We have reported to civil authorities for decades. That includes the Attorney General, going back to 1993. And many other things besides. If, if anybody is in a, in a ministry or a volunteer in a parish, then you've brushed up against these policies because you've been required uh, to do the background checks and the training. Nothing is fail-safe. And I can't guarantee that it will never ever happen in the life of the church again. But what I can say is that these incidences peaked in the 70s and 80s, have gone down ever since, and have really become very, very um, small a number. 
one is too many. And let me also be clear that even if our policies have, God willing, proven to be effective, the effects linger on in the lives of too many, far too many. And let me also be clear uh, that we have no laurels on which to rest. This requires continued vigilance and continued strengthening and improvement of policies. One of the groups that really helps us do this is the Independent Review Board, which is made up mostly of lay people, almost entirely of lay people, who have the requisite expertise to help the archdiocese uh, make sure that it always does the right thing and always has the right policies uh, in place. I'm not claiming anything is perfect here. I am saying though, with God's grace uh, and with the help of many, many good-hearted, qualified people, we're doing our level best to eradicate this permanently from the life of our church, from our clergy, and from anybody else who ministers in the name of the church. Given the decision to file for bankruptcy reorganization under Chapter 11, some people might question giving to an organization that's in that situation, whether the archdiocese or their parishes or whatever. How is supporting the parishes an important thing to do now? Mm -hmm. uh, and understandably, when people hear the word bankruptcy, they think of Chapter 7, they think we're selling the assets, and they think that their um, financial contributions will go uh, to um, legal counsel, to settlements, etc. And I understand that. Um, but one of the reasons we're going the route of Chapter 11 reorganization is so that when people give money to support the ministries of the church, it will be used for the ministries of the church. And uh, if I could say a word about offertory, which is for our parishes, their lifeblood, um, that's what enables a pastor to keep the operation going to pay his staff, to pay utility bills, um, to provide music, to keep the lights on, uh, um, to be a parish. That's what enables our schools to keep going. Mm -hmm. um, and it is vitally important that parishioners um, continue to support their parishes and they know that they know their priest. And, and as I go around all parishes throughout the archdiocese, I can see how much they love their priests. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very important. But that's also true of the annual appeal, which is specifically geared toward ministries around the archdiocese. And that money too will go for those ministries. And that too is important because, for example, we all want to have priests in our parishes. I mentioned we God's blessed us with an abundance of seminarians. Well, 
Uh, I wish I could educate them for free, but I can't. No. Uh, I wish that um, there's a there's a lot of things I'd I'd love to be able to do uh, just for free, but can't. And and so these kinds of things are really uh, really vital to continue supporting. And I would urge everyone uh, to maintain their generosity and to. Uh, uh, keep their eye focused on the mission. And a lot of that ministry is supported by the Archdiocese, by the Catholic Center, but a lot of ministry to people experiencing poverty or homelessness, yeah. to you know women who are expecting you know a, a child, a lot of that happens at the parish level. Our parishes are unheralded engines of charity and mercy, and uh, that's certainly true of our urban parishes that are in um, some of uh, Baltimore's most underserved neighborhoods and and where they're in the midst of um, the signs of deterioration. That's certainly true. I think of food pantries. I think of daycare. I think of all the wonderful things that these parishes do, many of them in conjunction with Catholic charities. But that goes on also well beyond the city of Baltimore, well beyond the Beltway. Um, if we can transition out to Mountain Maryland, uh, it's a different kind of poverty, but no less real. These parishes do tremendous work, again, often in conjunction with Catholic charities. Um, and there's places that would be described by many as affluent parishes. Uh, they support the parishes that are financially challenged, but they also do a tremendous amount of charity right at home because Jesus said the poor will always be with us. And that is true in every locale of this archdiocese. So I'm, it's not simply to balance the budget that I'm talking about this. I'm talking about sustaining person-to-person -person ministries and not creating more people who are harmed as fallout mm -hmm. from what should have never, ever, ever happened. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else you want to add? Yes, there is something I want to add, and it's the nearest, it's probably the nearest and dearest thing to my heart. And it's that uh, while I have been immersed with my coworkers and the technicalities of making this kind of a decision and the anxiety that comes from the law that was enacted last spring, I cannot ever get out of my mind and heart conversations I've had with victim survivors. Um, they continue to provoke in me remorse. They provoke in me motivation to be vigilant, and they provoke in me renewed commitment to ensuring this doesn't happen to anybody else. Again, that's number one. Mm -hmm. and, and the second point I want to make that is near and dear to my heart and very much in my prayer 
is the recognition that the archdiocese, this local church, this first see in the United States is at the spiritual crossroads. Um, this is a moment when we will experience in a new way, in a way we've never experienced before, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. A dying and a rising. But before you rise, one must share in the cross and the sufferings of Christ. But they are redemptive sufferings. And so we are being called upon to suffer with those who have been harmed. Compassion means to suffer with. And it is only by sharing on the cross that we also share in the resurrection and that we emerge not simply uh, legally reorganized, but uh, more vital than ever. That's why I want to keep our ministries going. Uh, because that's part of the Lord's mandate to us. But I think he, the Lord is calling us to do this with hearts and minds and spirits that are renewed. This is Christopher Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Review Radio. You're probably not getting much church news in your daily newspaper or on your local TV station. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. There are so many ways to stay in touch with the Catholic Review. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Catholic Review Media will inspire, teach, inform, and engage you wherever your faith takes you. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love. <laughs>